heavily, I'm a clown. This episode of the Bitcoin Echo Chamber podcast is sponsored by WTFHappenedIn1971.com. The economics meme taking the world by storm where all of us are trying to find out the answer to what the heck happened in 1971. WTF 1971 also has a merch store now. You can find it at WTF-1971.creator-spring.com. I'll post a link to that down in the show notes if you want to check it out. Thanks for the support. Good. <clears throat> What's up, party people? Current time in Moscow is 1,699. Ben, how you doing? I'm good, brother. My uh, my memcool forecast was was pretty dead on for last weekend. Just wanted to point that out there. Did it did it clear out? Oh yeah. When it down, it, I was like, if you send some six saprobyte transactions. They'll, you know, if you're feeling lucky, and then I think it, it it cut pretty deep into that eight to sat eight eight to six sat bite range. So oh, that's good. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't expect that because like the price just bumped too. We're Can just I... below. We were at like fifty nine something when I woke up, but now we're back to fifty eight. Well, I was talking about last weekend. My my forecast was for the weekend. Oh right, okay. I, I thought I you were saying I don't this forecast. Weekend. I don't forecast the mempool a week out. I'm not that dumb. <laughs> <laughs> Might as well just be a New England weathercaster at that point, right? So I was thinking about Moscow time this morning. Oh, yeah? And cause some, I saw some, something came across my Twitter feed, and it was a kid in, like, a McDonald's uniform. And it just said, like, built different or something like that, because I guess he's working at McDonald's to stack sats. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, like, good for him, right? Like, we all want to see that. Um, you, you, you love to see it. You love to see the young plebs out there you know on the grind hopefully stacking as many sets as they can but it made me think a little bit about satoshis and like you know how a few people still use satoshis as a unit of account and um hopefully he's he's made the switch right but like rewind to not even two years ago <clears throat> you were in a much better position to accumulate you know hundreds of millions of satoshis um if you were just a, a laborer who didn't have a ton of income didn't have a ton of like money that you could just throw around and and say oh i think i'm gonna take a five hundred thousand dollar position um nowadays you know you'd be lucky if you stack sats for like a year for most people you stack sats for a year you're not gonna get even 100 million satoshis you'd be lucky to get 50 million satoshis and that's like if you're stacking your ass off if you're you know like most people you know you have bills to pay um you don't you don't make six figures it just i don't know it really got me thinking because it won't be long and even a million satoshis is going to be out of reach for most people and what a shame you know so many of the people who really need to take part in this wealth transfer um they're going to miss the boat yeah and, and mr hair hair her lasagna uh, in the chat has said sat Sats per dollar yeah. is my one of my favorite metrics, and I, you know I, I might even I might even say Colin, there's another way we could look at this here because as as many Sat stackers have found over the last year, um, having ten to twenty percent of your wealth in Bitcoin is not a viable thing. You can't do that because if you wait a year or two, you turn up 
and then you're 70 or 80 percent in bitcoin yeah that's true and what are you going to rebalance like come on (laughs) at some point people are going to stop thinking about stacking sats and they're going to start thinking about getting rid of dollars and i think a lot of bitcoiners are already there uh, and the rest of the world is playing catch up as usual and i think at some point we're just gonna it, it sucks to me because the the biggest thing that stops me from being like a hundred percent in bitcoin is the burden of reporting and taxes so yeah totally well and and don't get me wrong like i'm not i'm not saying um that bitcoin getting more expensive and dollars going not as far for satoshi is not like a net positive thing. Like, of course, we all want to see Bitcoin be adopted. Um, but what I'm talking about more specifically is how many people, and, and it's inevitable, right? Like, not everybody's going to be an early adopter, um, but how many people will miss, have missed, are missing the wealth transfer event? Um, especially people in my, well, I guess you're, are you technically a millennial? Uh, I like cusp, but yeah. Yeah, you're like, Okay. <laughs> We don't know what to do with you, but like <laughs> the millennials and, and to like a like a lesser degree, but also, you know, your generation and then like down all the way into Gen Z. Um, these are the people that really need to get in early. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And a lot of them did like, right. Most Bitcoiners are probably fit into one of those three generations. And there's just a handful of boomers and and late Gen Xers. But um, I don't know. I I was thinking a lot about that meme that I like to post the asset inflation one with the two people laughing in front of the house. I love that meme, dude. Well, before we segue into that, I just wanted to say one more point on this is that like, listen, it's, it's not about fairness at all. It's like, if you take the time and put the capital into Bitcoin and hodl, like you have contributed to the liquidity of Bitcoin, you've helped bootstrap the liquidity of Bitcoin, and you then get to take advantage of the monetization phase of Bitcoin. If you don't take advantage, that's fine. You can be a follower, a sheep or whatever, and wait till the world adopts Bitcoin, and you can just use it as money. Like you earn it, and then you can like still hodl it, right? Like you'll just be saving at that point. And, and that's totally fine too. You don't like, you don't miss like the Bitcoin movement, you just miss being able to take advantage of the monetization phase by contributing to its liquidity. But it, it was it was a good segue, and I don't want to take away from that segue. So. Oh, well, actually, before we get into asset inflation, is there anything okay. that you need to tell the audience? Oh, yeah, we kind of have announced. Well, I mean, I don't know if you've announced it. I, on the- I haven't because I was waiting for Bitcoin Magazine to do it. But, I mean, um, I, we might as well just, like, talk about it. Can I... Can I... Uh, jump off of the stream for a minute and come back <laughs> um yeah sure fine I have, I have a work call it's fine i'll just sit here and talk to myself go ahead uh i can actually probably do this via text but um you can just start talking <laughs> so ben and i are going to be speaking at uh the bitcoin miami conference we're, we're gonna originally i was going to do a presentation because ben wasn't going and ben got fomo and now ben's going and we think we're going to try to tag team this presentation. It might be we, we need to kind of hash it out because I had kind of already planned the presentation to do it solo. And Ben and I think that we have enough chemistry and like enough practice uh, playing off of each other when speaking and those types of things that we should be able to like tag team this presentation on WTF happened in 1971 at the Bitcoin Miami conference. But um it is gonna be insane guys like well first of all i don't think i would have paid to go to this conference and i don't think ben would have either we're going yeah. because we're speaking uh and and ben probably could have gotten in for free because you know he's he's uh connected with the inner inner circle 
Kind um, of. Which, and, and that's, by the way, that's the inner circle that's texting me right now. I yeah, to, Peter McCormick. I had to quick do something. P.T. Um, McCormick. McCormick. He, he actually said he might help me with my plane ticket, which is very nice of him. But yeah, man, I got serious. I was talking to David Bailey from BTC Magazine, and he just like, he pushed me over the edge because I was having fun already. And Colin was gracious enough. Thank you, Colin, to uh, say that I could come speak with him as well. And I'm, I'm super happy to be able to get up on stage and talk about what the fuck happened in 1971. There, because... So you were telling me there's going to be like 12,000 people at this conference? Oh, yeah. I, from what I understand from David, this is the biggest conference in the world since COVID started. And the biggest Bitcoin conference ever. Yes. It's like it's getting so well. I'm, I don't. I'm not want to say anything that I shouldn't until you guys air the uh, interview. But um, I don't know, man. It's it's gonna be really cool, like for us to be able to get up on a stage in front of thousands of people and talk about our silly little blog um, that I think has had a really tremendous impact and influence in you know like the last couple of years on a lot of people. Like I'm excited to be able to get up and, and talk about you know the history behind it and and why we made it and talk more about the actual story like what did happen in 1971 like that's going to be a really valuable opportunity so we're just excited we're excited to meet some plebs and um you know to network a little bit and just have some fun hang out with you guys Oop, uh, absolutely there's a there's a pleb in the chat that's saying he might come now so hey if you come reach out to us grab a beer or something like that yeah Thank totally you. um Paris Hilton's even going, so. Yes, Paris Hilton's coming to see our presentation, she said. So, I mean, we appreciate support, Paris. Um, thank you for coming out for the cause. But yeah, dude, I'm super stoked, man, because uh, I get to speak in front of 12,000 people about our WordPress blog with 30 different charts with an arrow on it. I think it's um, like 50 now. Well, that's well, a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of charts. But we have, we have cracked a million views on that thing over the course of a year and a half, so it's pretty cool. <clears throat> um but yeah dude, let's let's get into the asset inflation thing you, you brought it up right Let... all right i don't want to blow smoke up our ass but did we coin this phrase well so if there's anybody else i can give credit to and i don't know if he actually put those two words together it would be um jesse colombo the bubble bubble on twitter who i've stolen some of the charts on our website are directly taken from him he created them um, and I found this out after the fact. He's an awesome guy. He he like went on a Twitter hiatus for like six months and came back for like a month and now he's been gone again. So I don't know he, what his deal is. But. He like takes the current state of the financial system like really seriously, man. Like it it really, really affects him. Like, yeah. like so he's much so it. that like he, he gets so stressed out he like can't use Twitter because he's like people just don't understand. Like they don't know what's going on. They don't know what's coming. They have no idea how bad it is. And like he'll like get in arguments with people and you can tell he's like getting visibly stressed as mm -hmm. the arguments go on and then he's just like gone for like a year from Twitter. And, and he has like a year worth of food at his house and like he's he's very serious about this. Oh, but yeah. anyway, so he, he had a chart that was like, where's the inflation? And so this is not a chart that's on our website, um, but it has like the prices of different things and a lot of them were equities versus commodities and like more cpi type stuff and the equities inflations were like absolutely insane assets other you know other types of obviously things real estate and he, said, he said the where's the inflation it's in the assets and he shows you those you know the cpi stuff next to the, and there's like no inflation and all the assets and like that would definitely helps 
us along in our kind of thesis of this. But. Right. And and I'm, I'm I know it's confirmation bias. Like obviously Ben and I weren't the first person to talk to to say the word asset inflation. But I remember when I made that meme of the two boomers laughing in front of the house and they look like super sinister, but they're just like it's like a stock image from like a coffee shop or something. But I put them in front of like the house and with the S&P 500 ticker chart behind them and it just says, why don't millennials take advantage of asset inflation? Because, you know, it made us wealthy. Like, it, I'm trying to, like, highlight the typical boomer mindset. Like, well, just buy a house, you know, just invest in your 401k and buy stocks and, and maybe a little bit of gold and just, you know, diversify your wealth across this asset of portfolio. And you're going to get extremely wealthy. After all, it worked for me. Why don't millennials just do that um, without realizing that, you know, over the course, you know, they were positioned extremely well to take it to basically get in at the bottom of the ponzi and like watch these scarce assets just blow up in value and reap the benefits from that and now you have millennials who have sort of been into been entering and been in the workforce over like the last decade and now gen z's coming of age and starting to enter the workforce and they're priced out of taking positions in a lot of these assets that um benefit the most from the expansion of the monetary base they, they can't even take positions in a lot of cases. Like, it's how hard is it to buy a house for, for most young people today? You know, you have to really be on your game um, to even be, like, a millennial. Like, I'm I'm 30. Like, it's it's not easy to buy a house, right? Just, it it's 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 not just the wages that haven't risen either. It's it's So the, the wages aren't keeping up with the asset prices, but the savings aren't. And it's the thing that everyone always forgets about. It's like, oh, well, the wages aren't keeping up with pace of inflation. The savings aren't either. And you need liquid cash in an account before they'll lend you money to buy a house, right? So you have to stack fiat in order to buy a house. Or right? or you have to take a position in a more risky asset, like you need mm -hmm. to buy a bunch of stocks or you need to like trade penny stocks or you need to like trade Forex and you need to build up like a little nest egg somewhere else, right? You need to speculate on something else before you can speculate on what's arguably a, like a better store of value, right? Which is real yeah. estate. Like because equities are always going to be probably i'm speaking generally here it's not always the case equities are probably generally going to be more risky because you're investing in well you used to be investing in like their cash flow you know in, the, in their debt cycles and like their ability to manage the company and like you know all like a whole lot more variables than i'm gonna buy this house you know on this plot of land because i need a place to live and it's going to go up in value because there's only so much real estate and you know, we could get into the fact that a lot of the um, inflation in real estate is artificially created by zoning laws and um, artificial limits that they place on, you know, how many houses can be built where and, and all those types of things. San Francisco. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, no, and that's a real problem. But um, I don't know, man. But like, I remember I remember going through the logic of some of this. So it's not just oh, so like... sorry, from, sorry. Go ahead. The, the point was, the reason I even went through all that was because I remember when I made that meme... That word, that word combination, asset inflation, felt really awkward to me because I didn't ever hear it. And I was like, should I use the word asset inflation here? I feel like most people aren't going to know what I'm even talking about in this meme. And I don't think they did because that meme never got that popular. But um, I remember it feeling really awkward. And I, I kind of feel like you and I popularized that word because we started using it. And then I think it's probably confirmation bias, but I felt like I started hearing it a lot after we started using it. 
Well, here's the thing that I do remember 100% is if you talk to any Austrian, and this can include gold bugs and stuff too, and they'll tell you, oh, the problems with like wealth, the wealth disparity of the fiat system is the Cantillon effect, Cantillon effect, whatever you call it. That's all they'll say. They're just like Cantillon effect, Cantillon effect, new money, blah, blah, blah. It's like, yes, that's a thing. But nobody was talking about the inflation problem with assets, how that, you know, there's this old Keynesian, and I remember I logic this out on Twitter a really long time ago, two, two, three years ago, that, that, you know, this idea that inflation hurts the rich more than it hurts the poor because they have more money, right? And it logically, it sounds right, but it's a logical fallacy because the rich don't hold dollars, they hold assets. So the assets inflate due to the money inflating, right? It's, it's, is supply and demand. And, and, and now we know Tom, also, like I almost just said Tom Bien, little Spanish on my brain. Um, we, now we know as well that, that these assets have become quasi monetary devices. And this is, um, you know, Guido Holzman has talked about this and, uh, other, other economists as well. Um, that, that when given in a society with a, such a poor money, we're more likely to use other things that are money-like as money, and thus these assets get built up even more. So I, this whole concept is something that we, you and I talked about a lot, and it seems to be well understood now, and it was like out of the lexicon a year ago. Well, that meme was a year ago, right? And additionally, this is where the mainstream totally misses the boat right mm -hmm. like this is where because like a lot of people might say yeah we haven't like look at inflation like the dollar disconnected from gold and all that and yes like obviously that had market increases on their government's ability to expand the monetary base but where so many people like the so many mainstream economists people in general you know pundits on twitter whoever it is they this is what they miss they miss this piece of asset inflation and because i remember i was reading rana follower's book makers and takers which actually is a really good book but i don't agree with she sort of blames financialization as like this arcane mechanism like this um witchcraft that we shouldn't have like dabbled in right she's that has caused all these problems she's not right? alone but <clears throat> What I realized reading her book, and this was around that same time that like we started talking more about asset inflation as conceptually, was that expansion of the monetary base is what caused, what created pressure and a demand for financialization because people wanted these quasi-money assets with which they could you know, push all these dollars into and benefit from. And I don't even necessarily think it happened um, explicitly. Like, I don't think a lot of people say around and we're like, wow, they're printing lots of dollars. We need to financialize everything. It just, it, it happens because of incentives, right? I mean, like, yep. lots it's, of dollars, increasing number of dollars, chasing a scarce number of resources. And obviously dollars are going to bid the prices of those resources up. And if you hold the resources, vice dollars, like you're going to benefit long term. And that's why we've seen just this massive expansion of the financial industry in the United States in the last several decades is this demand for a quasi money. It's also why in, you know, so, some of the criticisms of our website, especially in the wealth inequality area, people have said, oh, but some of that stuff doesn't even start to the 80s. Well, like, A, it takes time for these new methods of holding other assets instead of money, right? Because you, you used to, if you grew up in the 50s and 60s, they told you what you should do is save money. If you grew up in the 80s and 90s, or more like the 90s and 2000s, they tell you, don't save money. Right do anything but save money right? by so that it takes time, time for yeah. this shit to happen right and for people to figure it out right by that time like by the 80s and certainly by the 90s like the consensus had shifted it was no longer about like 
putting a little bit of your paycheck into your savings account or under your mattress. It was now like, okay, you know, you need to be an investor because, and, and remember like what happened in the nineties was the tech boom, right? The dot-com bubble. And that was when, that was when Americans in general just sort of, uh, there was that interview. Do you remember that interview that I sent you like a year or two ago about Americans? And it was like in the night, it was like from the nineties and it was them like talking about investing in stocks and money and all those types of things. Oh, it's super interesting, man. I don't, I don't, I don't remember. I can't like pull any quotes of it out of my brain right now because I watched it so long ago. But it was, it was really interesting the way it sort of highlighted um, the way people thought about like money and investing in stocks and stuff at the time, and it was just totally changing the world. And yes, a big part of it was because you know we had this internet revolution and we had like tech technology, like computers were becoming so much more accessible and revolutionizing society. Um, but outside of that. You know, we have this this monetary phenomenon taking place where all of these quasi monies were emerging. People weren't necessarily consciously aware that they they needed a quasi money, right? And and we had this huge expansion of financialization. And this is what all of these um, pundits in the mainstream miss. They don't understand it. Yeah, man, totally. Yeah, uh, and it's it and it's hard. It, it's yeah. I I, the, I think the cat is starting to get the idea that the stream and is is like wants some of the fame you know the the obviously all all 10 people that are watching right he wants now wants to go to the conference um, wants yeah well um she wants to go to the conference as well but it, there's there's comments in the chat again um from lasagna i'm just gonna start calling you lasagna i can't pronounce your name um people get overwhelmed so easily when it comes to understanding finance so i, I get that right but we've taken the time to dissect this stuff because of our interest in, in bitcoin and understanding monetary history and it's worth understanding and we're gonna keep i feel like colin and i we come on these things and these podcasts and these streams and we talk about the same things every time and until we hear other people start talking about them we're going to keep talking about them and explaining them over and over again in other simple terms to try to get these concepts because they are so important to understand. The most important thing that you got out of that um, that book, um, which is Makers and Takers, was at the end, your, your conclusion, right, after like going through all the logic of it was um, that it is more profitable now to serve the market in the form of equities as quasi sound monies than it is to do so as an entrepreneur creating products for people and right. that concept, like there's so much in that sentence that I just said that, that you have to pick apart to understand each one of those little things, but it's so fucking important. People need to get it. Yeah, there was a quote from that book and I'm paraphrasing it because I don't remember it exactly, but it was something like, why did um, corporate finance, a sector that accounted for like 15% of the jobs in, in the corporate world in like 2007, um, account for like 75% of the growth in revenue. That was the question that she poses at the beginning of the book. And I was like, well, it's obvious, but like she launches into these tirades about regulation and financialization, stock buybacks and all. And like, you know, she, she, it's like forest for the trees thing. You know what I mean? Like she's picking apart like all these little pieces of it, but can't take a step back and say, oh, it's because of the demand for quasi money. Eric Weinstein makes this exact same, exact same error. They 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 both see the the symptom, and they don't understand the real problem. And they point to a lot of symptoms, a lot of um, you know, a lot of fires that are going on, but they they haven't found the arsonist yet. And I, I think we found the arsonist. What else we got to talk about? Uh, well, we didn't talk about Sean Culkin last week. Did you want to talk about Sean Culkin? Sure. Who is Sean Culkin? 
Sean Culkin is the tight end for uh, oh, that's the right. Kansas City Chiefs, who is not the highest paid um, NFL player in the world. He's not the person who's taking the most of his salary in nominal terms, but he is the first NFL player and I believe the first pro sports player to take 100% of his salary in Bitcoin. And uh, we did get to have him on what Bitcoin did recently. And, you know, you never know how these things are going to go. You know, somebody maybe just got into Bitcoin. It's like, oh, you know, decentralize everything, whatever. I listened to his thesis and man, he seems to get it. He's he there's a quote from uh, what he said was like, um, you know, I don't I don't even see this as a risky thing. It was really, you know, and I heard people talking yesterday. I was talking to some people yesterday. They're like, it doesn't matter. Elon Musk, whatever. They can sell everything. It doesn't matter. Bitcoin's happening anyway. I agree, but it's cool to see people in the spotlight have that type of conviction. I think it is, helps other people that are, you know, maybe not, you know, doing all this, not, you know, research on financial history and all this stuff to try to understand these things. It helps other people that are, are willing to kind of follow the crowd more and say, you know what, there's a guy I respect and he's taking 100% of his salary in Bitcoin. Maybe I need to look a little bit closer at this. So. Yeah, I, I think... Um... In a lot of ways, this type of thing that we keep seeing more and more of, and shout out to like people like Jack Mallers making this happen. Even though that like, it's kind of it's like I said, it's kind of like a signaling thing. It's not really that important because yeah, he could just take his salary and buy Bitcoin with it, mm -hmm. right? And then it's like, who cares, right? It, w what's happening here is not that revolutionary. Um, what you need to do is contextualize this sort of like, okay, you know how like Stanley Druckenmiller came out and was. Like, oh, you know, Bitcoin is actually really interesting, and, and I think it might be the future. I, I'm paraphrasing. I don't, I don't remember what he said. I don't even really care. But yeah. if you recall, what that did was provide a lot of intellectual cover for a lot of other people to get involved in Bitcoin. And he wasn't the only one, right? There were a couple others who came out and said sort of similar things around the same time. Paul Tudor Jones, right? And he provided all this intellectual cover for literally all these other people who just play follow the leader in finance to start taking positions, to start taking it more seriously, to start getting involved. When you see social icons like NFL players, MMA fighters, NBA players, you know, go down the list, pop Paris stars, Hilton. Paris Hilton's, you know, whatever. <laughs> I don't care who they are. I don't, I'm, I don't really care about these people, right? I'm not that invested in pop culture. However, it's a, it's a different kind of, you know, I don't want to call it intellectual cover. I would call it like social cover. It's just, it's, it functions to the same purpose, but it's a little bit different, right? Like the, your average person who is an NFL fan probably isn't sitting around like, oh, what did Stanley Druckenmiller do with his portfolio this year? No, they're, they're like, what's my favorite sports star doing? And, and they don't really care. Like it, it's less interesting to them as like, oh, Sean Culkin bought a little bit of Bitcoin. Oh, Sean Culkin's getting paid in Bitcoin. Well, I want to get paid in Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like it, it's. It's um, it's a domino, and I think it's it's a lot more powerful than people give it credit for. They, I think that they kind of overlook it because, on the surface, it's not that interesting. But it's a really powerful um, social motivator. I agree. All right, let's move on to high IRS cracking hardware wallets. I think you posted this one. Yeah, did you see this? Yes. You're basically posting a bounty to crack hardware wallets. Yes, I think this is fantastic news. <laughs> well. It's um, it's interesting in a lot of ways. What do you what are your thoughts on this? Like I said, I think it's fantastic news. I think everybody in the world is going to try to break hardware wallets, and they should. 
we should try to break them every way, just like we try to break the Bitcoin blockchain, right? Like Andreas has said over and over again, it's like the Bitcoin blockchain is the most secure network in the world because they're the most people trying to attack it. And if you think like, oh, now that the IRS is trying to break hardware wallets, oh no, we should be scared. It's like, no, that's fucking excellent news. It means all the hardware wallet manufacturers are gonna be thinking that much harder about how to protect these security. And if they find vulnerabilities, we find our vulnerabilities and we try to get around them, you know? And I would say that this should highlight why geographically distributed multisig should be a part of your threat model, because uh, you can't crack that. You know, short of them coming up with a way to break SHA-256, like, there's no way around that. You can't. Like, it, it's hard, <laughs> it's a brick wall, right? You have to go to each of those locations, at the very least, in order to get the information. I think it's a good thing. I, I And I think... Um, People might come to find, now that we're watching more sophisticated attackers get involved in this process, we might not even know what comes of this publicly at first. It might take a little while for the information, like they might have already done it, like, right? Who knows? Um, but we might find that these hardware wallets, like I've always operated under the assumption that if you have Bitcoin on a hardware wallet and the physical device is compromised, you should assume that the Bitcoin inside of it is compromised, right? Because yeah, it, it might slow the attacker down, but a sophisticated attacker with enough motivation and maybe financial incentive, right, if they know you have a large amount of Bitcoin on there, they're going to get it out eventually. 100%. Um, so what we might come to find is that, like, the physical device is is not nearly as secure as a lot of people, I think, generally assume it is, um, which is, like, one of my biggest problems with a lot of people's general assumptions about Bitcoin security is that they just sort of think that, oh, well, my Bitcoin's on this hardware device and it's totally safe. Um, I think, generally speaking, like a, a geographically distributed paper wallet is probably a lot safer. And the thing I always bring up when this conversation comes around is I think we're thinking about this the wrong. I mean, if, if you're trying to protect a lot of money right now, man, it's it's it's, it's scary. It's difficult. And geographic multiplicity is, the you know, a lot of money. That is a minimum thing for you right now. But in the future, these things are coming. Covenants is going to be absolutely massive. People have a hard time understanding that this technology is going to move at a pace in, in a way that we can't predict right now. The, the idea of what exists for covenants today um, is already mind-bendingly different than how we think about digital cash, right? Digital bearer cash, right? Because I mean, people will keep two, three, 400 bucks in cash in their house, right? And yeah, somebody can come to your house and rob you and take that cash from you. And it's like, your life won't be over, you know, you know, assuming that that's not all of your money. If that's and they all don't your shoot money. you to take it. Right. No, but I, you know, for, for 300 bucks in cash, I'd be like, here, you know, have, have a great day, right? Take my stereo too. Don't kill me. But for, you know, millions of dollars or whatever, covenants is the only way to like protect this money, right? What are what are covenants? Tell us about covenants. So the 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 one that I know of that makes so much sense to me is the idea that you lock Bitcoin into so it's like a time lock. Time locks are easy to understand. You lock a Bitcoin in a time lock, it can't be moved into X date, right? That's that's one way to protect your money, right? It can only be moved every six months, right? Because at the end of the six months, you move it to a new one and you can't move it. I'm not touching my Bitcoin for six months at least. I could easily do that today, right? It'd be good. A covenant is the idea that you lock Bitcoin in a contract where it can go to one address, right? 
And if it does move to that address, and, and the, the, the attacker, or sorry, it can move from this one address, right? And if the attacker sends it to their own address, that's cool. He walks away and leaves. You can take that Bitcoin back to a different address. Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> Absolutely insane, right? Like, y y you just, you have to spend a lot of time thinking about this concept. That It's, it's like this, this, like, revocable, you know, you lock this Bitcoin in this place that's revocable, if, if it leaves there based on some rules. And so, that's just, this is just the fucking beginning. What happens if I use this to double spend? Um, so again, this is still something that's in like pre-alpha, you sure. know, and, and I think what's what's coming along with Taproot and Schnorr is going to make this so much cheaper to do and so much better that not a lot of people are actually working on implementing this stuff. That's what I'm saying. Is that this is not a thing you can do today, really. But do you understand um, like what I'm saying when I when I ask that? So like, yes, and I, I think take that I, same concept. I use it and I go buy a new car at a dealership, and then I can I claw that Bitcoin back? Like that's confusing. No, I I don't, I don't think that's how it works. What's the difference? I would have to do more research on it. Um, because because I think it's part of like the spending conditions of it coming out. Like you would know that that Bitcoin is isn't spendable yet right from that address mm. yeah I, i'm not 100 percent sure how this stuff works brian bishop was one of the guys working on it but there are other people working on it as well um and it's just, it's not getting a lot of attention now and i think in the future um this is it's just it's mind-bending i don't know well what's insane is how much that concept's going to go over you know 99.99 percent of people's heads for a long time right and Absolutely. that is a potential i don't mean like an attack vector against bitcoin but like when that technology exists and like people don't have the ability to interpret that transaction and say, Oh, this is like, this guy can still reverse this transaction for another 10 blocks or something like that. Like people, people are going to be in for some hurt, right? If they're not like kind of following the tip of the spear of this thing, I don't know. The world's changing so fast because Bitcoin is changing so fast. And I don't mean like the code repo is changing so fast. I mean, like it's, I think you know what I mean? Yeah, Absolutely. Anyway, it's future it's like it's it's like the privacy debate right um the, right now yes things are not ideal but there are reasons we make the trade-offs we make and the reasons are, we are working on what's important now and what you know what things can come down the line later it's it's a think a solved problem in the future and and that's a kind of a shitty answer for people it's like a cop-out it's like oh don't worry they'll fix it in the future but like i can see how it's starting to happen already and it's hard to explain that to somebody sometimes is that is that a good segue into the Edward Snowden thing? <laughs> yeah, I actually didn't see this, but I, I saw other people on my timeline this morning talking about um, privacy, and I thought yeah. Blue Matt had a really good take. We were talking about this before the stream, but well, can I, if, in case other people haven't seen it too, basically, no, um, Edward Snowden was on some interview. I don't know who with. I don't really care. Um, he was talking, and Edward Snowden, very smart, um, very closely aligned with the uh, ethos of Bitcoin, but he came out and basically outleaped outright criticize bitcoin for being not private not working on the right things um saying that zcash was doing some of the stuff better um and he didn't mention coin joins at all uh, he completely dismissed the lightning network um as just like saying oh well, that's like a toy or something like that um and uh, said that taproot doesn't increase privacy at all and uh yeah so it was it was very <laughs> very very flame inducing well um the other thing I would want to mention too, before I go off and explain what Blue Matt was saying, 
was that this last week was when we saw the first OFAC compliant block. Mm-hmm. I don't think we talked about that. Yep. And then what happened was some some trolley plebs sent some sent a basically sent a dust attack to the Coinbase block or to the Coinbase reward of mixed or tainted. What a what a shame that that is now in the lexicon or that 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 is now like a thing that we've sort of done to ourselves. But like they said, well, they we didn't do it to ourselves. They, obviously, these jackasses that are pushing this OFAC compliance mining forward and and. The Iranian, oh, I forget who it was. I don't know if it was like the Ayatollah or or who or if it was like a central bank guy. But he basically said that it's illegal to buy Bitcoin that wasn't mined in Iran, or it's illegal to like transact with Bitcoin unless the transactions mined by an Iranian miner or like something ridiculous like that. Like, okay, good luck, dude. Like, I don't know. Maybe half of the Iranians believe that, but I, I I'm skeptical. Yeah, so I've, I mean, I spent an hour or two in my Discord, like kind of playing, you know, one of one of the guys in our Discord, he's a Bitcoin bull, he, he loves Bitcoin, but he was kind of playing devil's advocate and saying why types of, these types of things can break, you know, the consensus protocol completely and they could just take over by, you know, for example, like a government saying that, you know, only... Uh, you know, all these sanctioned miners can, it's illegal to to build on top of one of these unsanctioned blocks, right? And then if they get enough of these people together, mining these only sanctioned blocks, then all of the other blocks get orphaned or something. And uh, I don't think the incentives play out that way. Um, I, I, I just don't think it works because you're not going to get 200 jurisdictions in unison to do this. Um, the ones that do do this get less profit and other people are still going to build blocks that have sensor transactions in them and you can't stop them from doing that. And I do, what I do think happens if we start to see this happening is that mining hash power will start pointing at dark pools or gray pools um, where maybe you don't know where this pool is located. Maybe this pool doesn't exist in physical space, but you get more revenue from it. Yeah. That's what I, I expect more of these pools um, to sort of go dark. Right. Mm-hmm. Like what, what's the point? Like really truthfully, what's the benefit to being like an incorporated white market Bitcoin mining pool? Like it doesn't people, make it like it doesn't make any sense. Um, people view pools as like an entities. institution. Yeah. Uh, an entity. No, it's like a fucking software. it's like a web address. Software. Right. It's well, it's software, but it's like a web address. Right. Because like, oh, no, they took down my website. OK, cool. I'll just roll up a new tour address. Right. And then boom, I'm back online. So. Yeah, I, I mean, this is the type of thing like you and I know you and I have talked about this like way back, um, kind of predicting like when the OFAC thing, when they first started talking about it, like sort of predicting like how this would play out. Um, and, and I, yes, it is a, like a threat. It is like a problem, but I don't see it being enough to like destroy Bitcoin um, because I don't see these people being able to coordinate enough at a global level to really pull this kind of attack off. Um, yeah. And I think ultimately like these OFAC compliant miners are just sort of digging their own grave. Cause like you said, like really all they're doing is creating a stronger fee market outside of their um, regulatory environment. Mm-hmm. And, and the heart, the everybody else benefits it. at that from that at their expense. The harder they push on it, the stronger the incentives go. So, and, and to be fair, like somebody sent me an article I got to read and like, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely looking at this 
very adversarially and i i do think it's a really important conversation that we're all having but i personally ultimately after doing a lot of debate back and forth with us and like learning as i'm debating and kind of really logicking it out um taking to these logical extremes I, 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 nothing's really changed for me, but yeah, I, that's like the U S banning Bitcoin, right? Like, no, it's not good in the short term. It's not good in the short term. I get that. But in the long term, I don't think it's as big an issue as people make it sound. Right. I mean, like, like, all right, let me, let me rephrase it. So if OFAC mining, OFAC compliant mining becomes like the dominant thing, yes, that is a big problem. And that will definitely affect the core value proposition of bitcoin because then bitcoin is no longer permissionless but i don't think we get to that point right is what i'm saying yeah and that was a point of contention that i had in the discord is that he was like okay well just hypothetically say that 80 percent of them are percent like well how did you yeah. get there though right There's yeah a lot we of can't incentives just, along the way we right. can't just say like a plus b equals c therefore c is bad it was like well yes i agree c is bad but b might not even exist right that's like um, I, I don't think we get there. I, I just don't think it happens, especially given the tension at the global geopolitical level right now. Like we're on the cusp of a global monetary reset. Like they, they can't keep this system going much longer. And there's a lot of saber rattling, you know, a lot of posturing, a lot of geopolitical tension. And I just don't see everyone sort of being like, yeah, we're cool with the status quo. Um, we'll, we'll be OFAC compliant. Like, cause at this point in time, like, so what's going on right now geopolitically is the U.S. is losing a lot of its international geopolitical leverage. That's what you're seeing happen. And that's why, like, the whole world is getting so weird. Because power structures don't like to let go. And, um, and speaking of, uh, <laughs> speaking of hash power, um, you, you wrote a hash power on here. Um, you wrote that the mining death spiral definitely played out oh yeah i mean i think we all knew you know when if and when bitcoin <laughs> dies it's going to be a mining death spiral you know like people these 10 percent are going to quit mining and then everyone else is going to be like oh crap guys it's over and they're just going to turn off their machines and bitcoin's done bitcoin's dead that is you know i had never even thought about that until someone oh, brought it up oh wait i'm getting this breaking that didn't actually happen oh it, it actually uh, no hash power is at an all-time high and nobody can get their hands on any miners apparently for the next year wow <laughs> wow so they must have like just implemented some sort of new fix to bitcoin that prevented this from happening like just the other day right yeah, no actually i'm getting that no it's just the incentives of the system <laughs> oh wait no satoshi put a difficulty adjustment into the original code base that that yes. anticipated this happening yeah uh, over accurate. a decade ago correct oh, okay all right well, sorry all right well, if I had done even a modicum of research, I would have known that. Damn it. <laughs> I shouldn't be making proclamations about the future of a technology I don't even understand the basics of. Yeah. Like like Charlie Munger? This is an important lesson learned for me. I will I will be a new person going forward. I will be a better journalist. Yeah, like Charlie Munger. Charlie, like Munger, Charlie Munger hates Bitcoin, man. He is not a fan. I, did you see what Michael Saylor said about him? <laughs> no. Oh, my gosh, dude. He was in an interview with some talking head some woman and she was like she played the clip for him and she's like michael i just want to play this clip for you and then i want you to tell me what you think and she played the clip of charlie munger saying it, it was anti-humanity or whatever and she cuts back to michael Sayer and she's like well what do you have to say about that and he's like well you know here's the thing sarah or whatever her name was charlie Laura. munger isn't he old enough to be like your grandfather 
do you go to your grandfather for advice on innovative new technologies? <laughs> right, which is the same thing with Warren Buffett, right? He's like, spent his entire life saying, I only invest in things that I understand and I don't understand technology. And yeah, probably should have bought Amazon, but I won't invest in it because I don't understand technology. But is, you should listen to me about Bitcoin. Right, totally reasonable. But like these guys have so much hubris, right? Which, you know, I'm, I'm not here to say Warren Buffett's not a good investor. Charlie oh, Munger's no. not a good investor. Like, I, I, no, but they're wrong about Bitcoin because obviously they don't understand it. And like, it, well, if it's their hubris that makes them look like complete jackasses. Actually, I'm going to, this may be the second time that I've done this, Colin, but I think I'm going to disagree with you. Okay, what do you got? <laughs> what do you got? Warren Buffett used to be a good investor and isn't now, not for the reason you think I'm going to say, is because he is a value investor. I, I so, did actually expect you to say that. For the oh, okay, Well, you're one step ahead of me. A value investor for the clubs at home uh, who aren't paying attention, a value investor evaluates a company based on metrics and invests in sound businesses. But today, that's not the winning strategy. It's all the winning great strategy, stocks, baby. The, the winning strategy is buy GameStop. The winning strategy is to buy Tesla, right? It's 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 all hype. It's completely disconnected from real prices. And I, I just tweeted about this like a week ago where I like the reason that this happened, it actually traces right back to what we were talking about earlier in the stream. It's because people are under increasingly building pressure to chase yield, right? Yes. They, you don't have time to like do all this fundamental analysis and say like, I'm gonna buy that stock and hold it for the next 50 years. You need gains like now. You need short-term, medium-term gains over like the next year, the next two years, the next five years, because you have bills to pay, right? You need to protect your wealth. And even though people don't necessarily understand this explicitly, it is implicitly known, like even amongst like young kids today who know nothing about finance, that if you wanna be wealthy, you've gotta get on Robinhood, you've gotta start buying stocks, you've gotta diversify your wealth, you've gotta chase these gains, right? You need to get into these stocks before they shoot up and you need to get out before they fall down, right? That's all they know. They don't know anything about cash flow analysis. We are pushed into risk is what you're saying to summarize. Yeah, and absolutely. The other part of that Quasi -monies. is- Quasi-monies. It's Yes, quasi-monies. And it's not just that we don't have time to do value investing, Value investing is fucking dead, dude. It's absolutely dead, right? Oh, okay. So Mr. Harry Lozano makes a great point. He says it's it's BS that these big corps can borrow infinite money at zero interest to maintain their zombie companies. That is another big part of this too, right? Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. value investing is dead because the free market is dead, right? Mm -hmm. We have central um, zombie corp. What is it? Like a third of the companies in the United States don't even make any money. Like. Zombie corporations, I call them stuck to the teat of central bank liquidity, right? They mm -hmm. cannot mm -hmm. exist outside of this paradigm of, of um, basically virtually free capital, right? They, they just literally, they're like vampires. That's why I wrote that article like six months ago or whatever called Financial Vampirism. It's, it's the case that it's not just some institutions are big to, too big to fail. Everything's too big to fail. Nobody can nobody can fail because everyone just takes on more debt, right? And, and so, so, so just... what's the point in value investing when you can buy Tesla and make like a hundred thousand X on your money or whatever it was if you bought it early? And right? don't get me wrong, Tesla doesn't I think make some any money. I think some of the things Tesla are doing are cool, but like they have not made a you know a diamond profit this entire time, and they're not the only business doing anything in the world. That's 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 going to be worth more money in the future, right? Right. 
And you can be like, oh, but Elon Musk, right? Yeah, like I think that's why the stocks were so much, right? Because people are investing in Elon, and right. people are like, oh, but SpaceX, SpaceX is a different company. It's not Tesla. <laughs> Yeah, they're actually they're actually separate. I don't yeah, know. If yeah, you know no, that they're separate not. companies. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the only thing Tesla does, Tesla, I mean, as far as I know, like the main thing Tesla does is build vehicles, and it has not been profitable for them at all. Especially when you take away the the carbon credits or whatever the government gives out to them. I wonder if this is a good segue into uh, you wrote large public equities are not private companies, and I didn't don't hundred percent know where you're going with this. Um. So, like this this. I'm, we could go a couple of ways with this, but like what inspired that was these people who you, and you see this a lot um, in this, in the more bipartisan political debates, like when you see some idiot, two idiots on Twitter arguing about red team versus blue team, and you'll see one say, oh, well, you know, it's, it's totally fine that these tech companies censor so-and-so because they're a private company and they can do what they want. And a lot of ways, the leftists are using that to try to, like, throw it in the face of the conservatives who they think are, like, the free market people, quote-unquote, right? So, like, they're taking this dirt and they're like, well, it's a free market and it's a private company. And they're throwing it in the face of these people, right, who are genuinely upset because something immoral is going on right that that shouldn't be allowed to be happening in a in a free and fair society um but my argument is that like in a lot of cases these companies aren't even private companies they're they're heavily subsidized by the government they're heavily subsidized by central bank liquidity in some cases they're not even profitable to begin with and they're publicly owned equities in a lot of cases too so like there's so much um and i'm not like don't get me wrong i'm not saying that the public shouldn't be allowed to own equity and that that should necessarily, but like shareholders do, you know, if you own enough shares, you can be on the board of companies, right? So like they're mm -hmm. not necessarily private companies. They're public companies that are held, you know, by public shareholders. And they're, in my opinion, increasingly nationalized by the government. Like we're, we're, we're heading to that point where the vast majority of the United States economy is nationalized by the government simply due to the nature of, uh, the expansion of the central bank balance sheet this is inevitable yeah and and i'm i'm somewhat of an anarcho capitalist here so i'm always going to play the card that's like it's they're they're influenced literally by the government right and and they have a lot to lose because they've gotten so big um i i think you know in the long run i think free and open source software fixes this but um i, I still don't see the path to it yet um it's it's a really hard problem to solve to do social media in a decentralized kind of way. Um, but I do think there's a light at the end of the tunnel. I just don't know what that path looks like yet. Well, I would add that, and this was a, you saw me argue, I was sending you the messages with that dude I was arguing with the other day, yesterday, I think it was, about oh, corporations. Yeah. <laughs> this is a big part of it, right? Because why do we have so many of these um, super powerful, super large corporations that nobody else can compete with? What is a corporation, right? Like, let's ask that question first. Why do corporations even exist? Well, they're preferential regulatory positions granted by the government, right? Why do corporations get so big and why can they outcompete everybody else? Because they're given special treatment by the government, right? They're, in, in, right. A, in a world where the free market was allowed to be the free market and the government didn't give special incentives to their, to their darling children, 
everybody would be able to compete on a level playing field. But I can't go out and start a business tomorrow with like a small business loan and be able to compete at the levels of these huge corporations because of the um, breaks that they're given at the regulatory level and the resources that they have available in access to capital, you know, like in regulatory capture, in their ability to lobby, all of these things make them put them on a different playing field than than the average Joe who wants to go out and start an LLC. And, and that absolutely happens at an individual, you know, company like Amazon or or like Tesla or or like Twitter or something like that. These companies have so much money and influence that actual regulatory capture I'm sure happens in some cases where they're like, hey, can you create this law that would make it much easier for Twitter to do whatever? Sure. Just as an example. But I think another like larger point in a way is is along the lines of everything you were saying, but in a more holistic way, which is that any types of regulations, any types of even broad that affects us everybody, it's easier for a large corporation to take a small percentage of their profit or capital or whatever to adhere to regulations to, you know, set up, like you were saying, the corporation itself is a entity that is defined by law. And in order to like start a corporation, there's like a startup capital. You like, you have to put thousands of dollars sometimes, maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars, depending on the type of corporation it is. And that's easier for large institutions to handle these things, to get the lawyers on, to interpret all the legal speak and all the laws and to navigate all these areas. It's just harder for small businesses to do all of these things. And if you really want access to the most capital flow, you need to become a publicly listed company, right? And you know how hard it is to get listed on the NASDAQ? can't imagine it's 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 extreme like there's a huge regulatory burden to be listed on the like the nasdaq on like a major exchange it's not as hard to get listed on like an otc exchange but you're not going to get you're, you're going to get a tiny fraction of exposure to the capital flow that you would if you're listed on like the nasdaq or the s or you know and then like when you make it to the s p 500 i mean you could argue that's a little different because it's like we made it there via our success but the stepping stones to get there you know they're they're becoming more and more underwater um, so to speak, like if that, as the flood of monetary expansion rises, you know, more and more of the stepping stones to get to the safe little Island that you can be on are, are completely submerged. Yeah. Um, and I would, I would say like, if you really want to understand more about this, you really need to go dig into like bull moose politics, right? Like the trust busting era in the United States. I think I wrote a little bit about this in our blog, but I don't think I got into it too much. It was one of those topics I had kind of on the back burner that I hadn't ever, that I still haven't gotten to. Um, but you need to understand that like in every case I've ever seen, monopolies are formed by regulatory capture enabled by the government. They don't really happen naturally in free markets where people are allowed to compete on a level playing field. They happen because of government created legal monopolies right and and corporations are a great example of sort of a blanket legal monopoly that um make the obfuscate you know the the operating environment for the people that want to say hey i think i could do it better than them it's impossible they can't compete because they they can't get that preferential treatment given to the corporations by the governments and that was what i was the only reason i was getting in that argument with that dude on twitter yesterday was because you know, he was missing so many of these fundamental pieces and just blaming free market capitalism on corporate capitalism. I'm like, dude, they're, they're different things. The, that's the problem is that the people are like, what, you're saying monopolies can't exist in a free market? Look, they exist today in, in today's free market. It's like, okay, first of all, go fuck yourself. Uh, second of all, and this, this is kind of a segue into one of the things I wanted to talk about, which is how to disagree with people. 
Um, I feel like we're losing this as a society. I had a, a phone call with, uh, I'll say, a member of my family. I don't want to dox who they were <clears throat> this morning. And I just thought it was going to be a quick 10 minute kind of phone call. And it ended up being like a nice hour and a half, two hour conversation. And this member of my family doesn't have the same ideological leanings as me on most things. This this person is actually interested in Bitcoin. I've gotten them into Bitcoin. And, but, you know, they don't agree 100% on everything, ideologically speaking. And we had a nice two-hour conversation. And we disagreed. And we had some counterpoints. Uh, and we listened to what the other person was saying and responded based on what they were saying. I, I don't know if you can imagine this happening, Colin, but... <laughs> There are places, not on Twitter, right? There are places in this world, there are people that still know how to do this, to how to disagree respectfully and and actually respond to counterpoints and use logic and reasoning and 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 make admissions. I I was I was arguing with some Monero shills yesterday. Uh, I think it was yesterday, the other day. In um, there's some Bitcoin Telegram group called Bitcoin Citadel, and there's like. For some reason, it's been taken over by Monero shills in a way. It's fun. like they have some good points. Okay. I spent an hour arguing. Uh, one guy was a lot better. And there was literally another guy who spent the entire time waiting till his buddy said something. And they'd be like, yeah, you fucking asshole. Like, you're so stupid. You're just spouting counter talking point. You that is all Maxi. he said for an Like he had zero point. And I point, I'm like, you are using ad hominem fallacies. You used appeal to authority by asking, do you know who that guy Max is or whatever? And all this, but he literally spent the entire fucking time insulting me over and over and over and over and over again. And I was like, sir, you are actually detracting from the conversation I'm having with Max. Like, can you please shut the fuck up? And like, at the very end, I was like, hey, Max, thanks for not being a complete douchebag. And that guy was like, ha, you used an ad hominem. I was like, that was after the entire debate was over. And if you think me pointing out how much of a douchebag you were after you literally spent 30 messages only insulting me without a single point to the conversation, um, then you have no fucking idea what you're talking about. All the logical fallacies you used took away from your guys' points. And it's 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 so frustrating because it was, I think it was a good conversation. I, I enjoyed having the conversation. I learned a few things um, and I don't know. I could. I, we 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 ended the conversation. Me and this Max guy saying, um, and I think is by the way, I'm I'm not. I don't want this guy is out in in this public channel. So it's like I think his name is Max Hattenhill or something like that. And I I don't know who he is, but I'd heard his name. And when the guy was like, "Do you know who he is?" I was like, "No, I don't give a fuck who he is." We're talking about like this is a meritocracy of ideas. We're talking about people. ideas, yeah. Yeah. So at the very end, he said, "I think we should end it here." And I was like, I wanted to like say a bunch of shit. And I was like, "Dude, you know what? I think you're right. We both." He and I both acknowledge that there are trade-offs being made uh, and Monero makes different trade-offs than Bitcoin. And we don't necessarily agree on the outcomes of those trade-offs. And that's a great conversation. That's a good thing to have. But like, there's so many of the other guy out there that I'm, it's, it's really frustrating in society. Well, you and I are different, Ben. Like we like to disagree. Like I, I like to find disagreement. I see it out. And a lot of times I'll throw bait on Twitter because I'm hoping to like discover um, an intellectually satisfying conversation. Like I do it all the time with like people that I know are going to disagree with whatever I have to say. I'll like throw some bait out there and I'll be like, Hey, like, let's talk about this. And 99, if not more percent of the times, uh, I'm probably being hyperbolic. I don't know. Uh, you don't get good faith engagement, right? They, they don't, they don't listen to your arguments. They're never willing to concede any points. They're never willing to like, like you said, make admissions. Yeah. Like I can completely destroy them logically and they don't care. They just regurgitate dogma. Like, cause they're not engaged in the conversation and they don't care about what I have to say, which is really unfortunate because I do care about what they have to say. And I do read it and I do listen and I respond to it. Um, 
you know, wholeheartedly. Like, okay, I hear what you're saying, but have you considered X, Y, and Z? And then they say, <laughs> capitalist. And it's like, dude, you know, that. so my, my blanket response to these people is usually just like, okay, thanks for the good faith conversation, right? Because that's all I want. Like, I, I, I don't, you don't have to agree with me. Like, you don't have to be like, oh, yeah, you know what? You're right. I'm a narco-capitalist now. But I want you to at least be able to have a conversation. Like, come on. Without, without just repeating whatever the television tells you to think. And it's funny because every time you send me one of these conversations at the end, I'm like, why are you still arguing with this guy? And, it, and I, I see it now. You're like, I'm, I'm still trying to give these people a chance. I'm still trying to have conversation. And these are the people that disagree with, with Bitcoin, with anarcho-capitalism, the people that can't come on with anything looking logical, right? It's like, I don't know. Um, and, and Mr. Harold Lasagna puts it, puts it well. Um, that you can't just marry an idea. You have to you have to date ideas. Okay, don't 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 marry ideas. We believe in we believe in monogamy here. If if that's what you're into, you got you got to uh, tender your ideas these days, but not with ideas. Know? Yes, swipe gotta, right, swipe left. You got uh, to be a free tinder, loving hippie with your ideas. Strong opinions weekly held is the, is the tinder of ideas. <laughs> Love it. Um, too too emotionally invest well. I'm emotional now, I will say, um, but it's because of frustration from people being too emotionally invested ideas. I agree. Yeah. Anyway, that was a good one. Um, Colin, I heard, yeah, this is just breaking that Doge is going to a dollar. Uh, <laughs> where are you, you getting you this wrote feed this. from, dude? You wrote this, dude. You wrote <laughs> who, this. Who is in your ear right now? Okay, so the, <laughs> just I, we don't have to spend a ton of time on this, but I'm sure I'm not the only one who's sick and tired of hearing these water cooler conversations right now everywhere you go about all of these people who are just 100% certain that they're going to retire in like two years because they bought like 50,000 Dogecoin. I cannot be the only one. Like that's that's why the meme of today's episode, I I like doing, it's funny because my friend yesterday was telling me that I need to work on the thumbnails for the live streams. I love them because I like, just doing random memes and most of those memes i've made so like they're even more special to me because they're my unique children but um you know this i sit around at work and like i hear these people and they're like yeah you know i've got thousands of dogecoin i wish i had bought it when it was a penny because it's going to a dollar it's gonna happen and after that it's going to a hundred dollars and i'm gonna retire and it's gonna be amazing and I'm just sitting there, and I'm like, I'm like that dude in the in the meme. Like, they don't know I'm a toxic pleb, right? At the party with all these <laughs> people with thousands of, and like literally the types of things that I hear people say are like, "Yeah, man, I bought a bunch of shares in Dogecoin. It's going to a dollar. I did the math." Like, which what the fuck could are you, you even saying? Could you clue me into the math? Right. I'm like, what kind of math are you doing, dude? And like, you bought you bought ten thousand shares in Dogecoin. That's that's impressive. I'm proud of you. <laughs> Great. I, you, how yeah. many times? You know how many conversations I've been in just in like the last month where people have referred to like Bitcoin or Ethereum or Dogecoin as shares. Yeah. What? How many voting rights do you get with those right. shares? What was my question? But oh, did my did the stream just shut off? I don't know. Oh wait, no, it's oh. back. Okay. Oh, we, okay. We dropped out for a second there. Maybe Harry Lasagna can tell us in the chat if we're still we're still live. Um, you know, I, I actually kind of want to take this in a slightly different direction, um, but but very related. Um, and so I, I think to wrap up this discussion a little bit uh, is that 
what I find interesting is that, you know, I have people in my life and I'm sure you're going to echo the same thing. You're going to Bitcoin echo chamber. The same thing is that I've talked to them for many years about Bitcoin. And yes, some of them have come to me and said, I think I understand Bitcoin now. And it was post Elon Musk. It was post all of that. You know, like you said, providing um, social cover for, for people to come into Bitcoin. Um, but those same people said, and what do you think about Dogecoin? Right. And it's like, so, so let me get this straight. I've been talking for three years about how I think Bitcoin is going to change the world. And it's the only important thing. And you're still like asking me about Dogecoin. It's like, why? It's a fucking joke. You can look this up in five seconds and, oh, Dogecoin is a joke. Cool. Got it. Right. Why are you asking me about this? I spent three years researching a monetary fucking revolution and explaining it to you whenever you would listen. And you're asking me about Dogecoin. Like, first of all, you're dumb. Like, you deserve to lose money on this literal joke. You are the joke, right? So that's that's that thing. What I wanted to kind of take this, and I think is interesting, is the idea, because I was talking to Hoddle about this in a, just a small um, clubhouse, clubhouse room, and I thought it was really interesting. And I, w- I won't go into his side of it because I want to reveal what he was saying, but it just, just taking it to, you know, in 2016, 2017, if you wanted to have a discussion about Bitcoin, there's only one place to do it. And it was our, our Bitcoin, right, on, on Reddit. Um, so Reddit's Bitcoin page. And if you go to Reddit's Bitcoin page. Don't do um, it, it's I, trash. Well, don't do it today. Yeah. But at the time, it was like the only place, you know, like uh, Bitcoin talk had kind of fizzled out a little right. bit. And it was like hard Bitcoin. And Reddit was different back then, too. Yes, sure, sure, sure. But what was the, uh, do you remember the banner for our Bitcoin? I think it's still the same banner. No. So their, their logo of our Bitcoin is that wizard that was drawn in MS Paint by yeah, like okay. a six-year-old or whatever. Okay. So... If you go in 2016, and I didn't do that. Well, I, I probably did, actually. I probably went to Reddit in 2016 and saw that. And I was like, this looks like a fucking joke. <laughs> Magic internet money. And today, if you go to Bitcoin Twitter, what do you see, Colin? Magic internet money. Laser eyes. Yeah. And we've been criticized for this. And, you know, the, the, the galaxy brain take here, I think, is that it's kind of an IQ test. If you can get buy that right right if you can get beyond the those meme kind of things and Cult-like see that behavior. there's still yes and see that there's still something happening here um i think it really says a lot about you and and maybe in 2016 i i don't know if i did this but i may have opened that page and said that looks like a fucking joke what the hell is this and come back to it in 2017 and then i i i, I like I, I didn't pass the iq test and then maybe in 2017, I did. I don't know. Right. Well, and you were rewarded appropriately, right? Because I think we all wish, you and I exactly. both wish we had been buying Bitcoin in like 2015 or whatever. Yes, exactly. Um, and I will say like that conversation we had yesterday with my friend in Discord. Um, let me point out that he was part of, uh, first of all, Kiefer, if you're listening, I love you, man. <laughs> but he was part of the group of people that I worked with a few years ago who I had tried to convince all of them to buy Bitcoin. And this was in like 2017 and then like in 2018 when it was super cheap after the crash, I was it was like all I talked about because I was just obsessed and I was like really kind of coming into myself on like understanding Bitcoin stuff and it was all I talked about and I was trying to convince everyone to buy it. So much so that when I left that place, they, the, they gave me a plaque, like a going away plaque and it was a giant Bitcoin. And it was to make fun of me because I had tried to convince everybody to buy Bitcoin. And that was like, what, you know, 10x ago, 20x ago. Yeah, they really they really got got you. They really had the last laugh. Let me tell you. (laughs) And um, you were talking him and I, you and I were talking to one of those guys that I worked with back then yesterday in the discord. And I loved your approach because you were just like, how can you be friends with this guy? 
and still not be into Bitcoin. What the hell is wrong with you? And I, I, I think that you're onto something. I think we need to start shaming people a little bit more because like it's so obvious. Like I was no, because I was like, oh, so like you must at least be a little bit into Bitcoin, right? And he's like, no, not really. Like I heard about that Dogecoin thing. And I was like, wait, wait. So for three years, every single conversation you've had with Colin, he's probably tried to shoehorn in Bitcoin and explain to you some of the monetary economics, you know, some of the other, and you don't like, you haven't spent any time learning about it. Very what the few people fuck have. is wrong my, with you? My, but like, let's be honest. It's, it's a lot easier to convince random people on the internet than it is to convince people you actually know in real life. I don't know why, but yeah, like I probably only successfully with, converted. With a clown avatar. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, I have billionaires following me on Twitter and people in real life don't even take me seriously. Like I'm not even joking. <laughs> like I have multiple billionaires in my DMs on Twitter and I can't even get like, you know, the secretary or like the Uber driver to listen to me about this monetary revolution, whatever. Yeah, I don't know. The world is weird. I don't know. It really is, dude. I probably converted maybe three, four, five people in my real life, like to actually understanding and accumulating Bitcoin. Do you know how many DMs I get from people I don't know who are like, dude, thank you so much for your work. Like you really helped me understand Bitcoin and now I'm all in or like stuff like that. It's insane. Hundreds. Hundreds. Yeah, that's really fascinating. And I, I'm on the same order of magnitude for both of those, right? Well, Bitcoin's happening either way. So people can either get on board and like I said at the beginning of the stream, uh, take advantage of this monetization event or they can not, they can just use it as sound money later. I mean, that's totally up to them. You know, it's this this risk reward thing, it it changes slowly and slowly as it, over time and eventually just levels out. There's no more no more reward for adopting early when when hyper bitcoinization happens right kind of like the, there, there's no more reward for adopting early like cell phones or like mm -hmm. computers but they're still one of the most hugely beneficial things in our society right they've totally changed the way the world works same thing with bitcoin you're not you know you're not going to have all of the advantages of using email before anyone else like knows how it works or like <laughs> being able to create powerpoint presentations before it's a required everyday skill Right. But but the benefits to society will still be there. You just won't be an early adopter. Um, Mr. Harry Lasagna, we met uh, probably in late 2017. That was when I first started hanging out on the, the Bitcoin.pub. Oh, you know him? Yeah, yeah. I, I've known Mr. Harry Lasagna a long time. He's in our Discord, too. Oh, he is? He, was, uh, he used to like watch the streams that I used to do when I was on DCTV. And i think probably i think he would watch some of the stuff i did like on my personal youtube channel as well does he is he one of the people that has different names in every single thing no he's always been mr harry lasagna oh i never hear him talk okay yep. well, we should have a cool chat guy. sometime harry lasagna he's he's he said he's gonna fomo in and buy a ticket to uh btc conference um even though it costs a lot he just he he's telling me this in dms right now he's gonna do it and there's only 300 tickets left so you should do it pretty quickly and then we're gonna have a beer together is so. there really we're, only 300 tickets left that's what I heard. It's a rumor. I can't substantiate that rumor, but I heard it is around 300 tickets left. And they have already, before you think that they're going to add some extra tickets, they've spent the last two months doing everything they can to add more spaces, including like pulling yachts up to places to add just a little bit more capacity here so they can get more people in there. So they're at the limits of most of those things. This is like the block size space. It's, it's a limited thing. It, you can't just you can't increase the box size space forever okay linear throughput <laughs> uh you you can only yeah you increase the box size for for linear increase in scaling we're not going to get any exponential growth here right 
All right, Ben, well, I, you got to get going, don't you? Yeah, I have a um, AI. AI, I have a date. Well, I have no, it's it's not a marriage. It's a date, um, but it's an AI inspired um, debate between Satoshi Nakamoto and uh, Vitalik Buterin um, that we're going to do live on Clubhouse. So it should be a lot of fun. So sweet. Well, um, go follow Ben on Twitter if you want to find out about that uh, at Mr. Cool BP. That's me. <laughs> All right, guys, we will see you next week. Same Moscow time. That, <laughs> Same Moscow that's, channel. That's it.